Hello and welcome to the GMH Podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A Hamilton councillor plans to block bulldozers from digging up the greenbelt. More and more Canadians are at risk of becoming homeless. Many homeowners moving up this spring. Canadians are throwing away a lot of junk. Is it time to mothball the Commonwealth Games? And there are work friends and friend friends. Find out more in the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Premier Doug Ford was in Hamilton last week for, uh, well, a couple of announcements, including funding for shipyard workers. But at that news conference, he was heckled, not heckled, he was peppered with questions about developing the Greenbelt. And here in Hamilton, that is certainly a hot topic. Uh, a lot of Hamiltonians said, no, we don't want this to happen. City Council said, no, we have a plan in place. And the province said, well, too bad, so sad, we're doing this. And so we heard from the Premier last week. You want to create 700,000 jobs. My question back to them, where are they going to live? Are we going to put them in a tent city in a park? No, we need to build homes. We're going to build homes, affordable, attainable, and regular homes. As simple as that. So you know that also City Council voted in favor to, you know, work with the province, to set about a development plan for these Greenbelt lands. And, and council said, you know what, we're doing so under protest. We're not happy about this. Well, one councillor in particular certainly not happy about this, and that is Ward 15 councillor Ted McMeekin, who joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Ted, good morning. How are you? Hey, Rick. I'm fine. Now, you are proposing to do something a little more drastic than just say, you know what, we're, we're not in favour of this. Well, yeah, I, I you know, I'm really worried uh, Rick about our our city and uh, the city I love and uh, want to see um, uh, you know be strong and uh, caring and uh, sustainable and uh, I, I promised in the last election that I would make decisions uh, based on evidence uh, supported by principle and designed to uh, achieve the greatest good and I think on so many fronts the province is heading. Uh, shamefully in the wrong direction and i I think we have a responsibility to uh in fact we take an oath to stand up for the people that we who who elected us and uh, defend our city and i I think that's what uh city councilors were struggling with uh, at our last meeting so what are you proposing to do to stand up for hamiltonians who put you in office to say this is what we believe in well i think first and foremost to speak out Uh, i mean we owe it uh to um, uh, the people we're privileged to represent who voted, uh, you know, in a measure over 90 percent to uh, protect the green belt, to protect our heritage uh, lands, our wetlands, our precious farmlands, and uh, to understand that we're living uh, in an age now of climate change. We've got, what, 500 fires in B.C. burning out of control. We've got Tornado Alley moving north. Uh, The heat uh, right across the world in the last couple of weeks has been uh, uh, terrible. Um, So we we need to do, uh, you know, smart things. And, um, (laughs) you know, I I, I, I voted to support talking to the facilitator. I happen to know the the woman that uh, the premier wants to appoint. I think she has a history of uh, being fair and... uh, and uh, and caring. Uh, when I was minister, I used her a couple times myself and always found her advice uh, very prudent. So I'm hoping that she'll come to the city and uh, and talk to us. And uh, my own feeling was that uh, speaking with uh, the facilitator, and council supported uh, that position, by the way, 
maybe the the last opportunity we actually have to have someone in the government to to talk to and uh, hopefully to uh, listen to us and learn from uh, from us uh, about what we want to do and and uh, understand that uh, official plans in cities are are like the you know it's a, it's a community's dna it it summarizes uh, what our hopes and dreams are and uh, to arbitrarily intrude uh, you know, in the manner uh, that we're seeing is is just shameful, and it would be shameful for us not to stand up and uh, and speak out. Uh, we have a premier that said at one point we're going to take big chunks of uh, land out of the green belt, and then he said, "No, no, no, I was wrong. I listened to the people. No way we're going to touch the green belt." And then he did what he said he was going to do. He took out big chunks of the green belt and. A couple of weeks ago, he, he called the, the Green Belt a sham. Well, it's not a sham. 72% of Ontarians think it's uh, one of the single most important things any provincial government has done to create the largest protected green space in the world, um, you know, some 20 years ago. So, you know, we've got to get things right. We can't afford to be making uh, fundamental mistakes. And, uh, and what the Premier thinks is going to happen um you know, affordable and attainable housing. Uh, well, he's sure not going about it the right way, in, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I'm not sure how attainable it's going to be for most people, that's for sure. Ted, we're out of time. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Okay, Rick. You have a good week. You too. Ted McMeekin, Councillor Ward 15, City of Hamilton, uh, has threatened to, listen, if it comes to it, sit in front of a bulldozer and get arrested if need be if he doesn't like what is happening in our city on the Greenbelt lands. We'll uh, closely monitor this situation for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, it would be nice to win the lottery because that would certainly help you pay the rent or the mortgage or all the debts that we've all accumulated over the last number of years. And to that end, there's a new report out that suggests the risk of becoming homeless for some Canadians is escalating in part because the minimum wage has not kept pace with the increase in rental rates. So this report was compiled by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. And it found that even though the minimum wage has jumped since 2018, rental rates have risen much more rapidly. Ricardo Tranjan is a political economist and senior researcher at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives and joins us on GMH. Ricardo, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Tenants are spending too much of their income on rent. How big is the disparity? So what we did for this report, we calculated how much uh, people need to earn on an hourly basis in order to be able to pay rent without working more than 40 hours a week and without spending more than 30% of their income on rent. That is a standard affordability tradition and and measure is the 30%. And then we have that figure, which we call the rental wage. And we calculated for one bedroom units, we calculated for two bedroom units, for cities across the country, for the provinces. And then we we compare those figures with the minimum wage. And then what we find is a big, big gap. Uh, across the country, and uh, not only in the large cities like Vancouver and Toronto, but also in, in, in smaller places. So you guys analyzed nearly 800 neighborhoods in more than three dozen of Canada's biggest cities, and you found, you, you determined the rental wage, so to speak, which is what you kind of just referred to. Here in Hamilton, that number is pretty startling for a one- and two-bedroom apartment in terms of how much someone 
should be earning to make sure they can afford it. Yes, for a one-bedroom in Hamilton, it would be $23, and for a two-bedroom, it would be uh, close to $29. And again, as a reminder, that's against a minimum wage of $15.50. So it's a huge gap. Um, folks, we will have a hard time finding a place they can afford. Uh, even sometimes in some in some larger places, even two minimum wage workers, if they combine their, their income, uh, they have a hard time finding a place that will cost them less than 30% of the total income, which means they're, they're sacrificing other things. What are those other things? Did you look at some of the things that people aren't getting or buying or or needing and they just can't afford it? The report didn't look at, we, we focus on the rental wage and, and by showing that um, it's impossible to find a place at the 30% threshold, folks are likely spending way more. And we know that rent eats first. So people pay rent and then pay utilities and then they see what they can do with the rest of the money they have. Um, the, the report, although we didn't look into it, is sort of, it's in line with some of all the research that we have been reading. For example, and when you look at food bank usages, and in Ontario, broadly speaking, in other parts of Canada, in fact, uh, we know that they're being reporting that more and more of their users are actually full-time workers. Uh, when you look at some of the, the research that came out of the encampments, um, whereas people assumed that there was mostly people who were housed or unemployed, there was actually people in the payment, uh, encampments that have jobs. So it is not that people are not working. It's not that people um, don't have income. It's just that rent is that expensive. So for those in Hamilton, we know the minimum wage in Ontario is fifteen fifty. To get into or to afford a one-bedroom apartment in Hamilton, you would have to earn $23.02 an hour. Uh, for a two-bedroom, twenty-eight seventy-seven is the hourly wage that you should be earning. We know that a lot of people are not even close to that number, which begs the question, how close are minimum wage earners to becoming homeless? Yes, it's a, it's a real risk. And it's um, something that is ex extremely disconcerting. And um, but the other thing that we're looking at too, and we're trying to the other question we're trying to raise with this report is the fact that when that much of your income goes to rent, yes, at the individual level you have to make really difficult choices and, and sacrifice things. But we also have to think about the, the local economies, right? So people. When not, they're spending less money on groceries, on, on clothing, on, on activities for their kids, on activities for themselves, on, on food and on, on services and, and products that are usually sold and purchased locally at the neighborhood level, sometimes at the neighborhood, at the city level. So if there's less money circulating now because rent takes on takes up that much. So at some point, um, even business owners on, on, on small, um, small businesses and, and, and the, the, your main street, let's say, they're going to start feeling the pinch too. And important to rem remember that those are the same businesses that will also have pressure to increase their wages because if folks cannot leave any anywhere near your shop, it's going to be hard to attract them paying a minimum wage, right? So there's a pressure there to pay more, whereas you, and you might also be seeing at the same time less business. So there's that question of the overall impact of this high rent on the economy as well.
There is a massive ripple effect, that's for sure. You can get all the details on the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives website or check out the story online at globalnews.ca or 900chml.com. Ricardo, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. Ricardo Trajan is a political economist and senior researcher at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Some really, well, head-scratching, sobering statistics from that uh, body in terms of you know what they found with their rental wage. We are way off the mark here in Hamilton, and we're not alone. There's cities across the country who are also in the same boat. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Out we go to the housing market, and fresh off, hot off the press, Remax Canada releasing its Move Up Market Report. It came out less than two hours ago, and it examined nine of Canada's biggest housing markets, including here in Hamilton, which has been red hot over the last number of years. And I found that buyers earlier this year, when the Bank of Canada paused its interest rate hikes, it found that buyers took advantage of that pause. Christopher Alexander is the president of Remax Canada and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Christopher, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Rick. How are you? I'm good. So after you analyze these nine biggest housing markets in the nation, what did you find? Prices are up uh, from January till the end of June. And that's probably a surprise to some, considering what much of uh, the headlines have been. But you kind of summed it up in the intro. Ever since the Bank of Canada held on their rate increases, buyers really returned to the market in a big way. And they were already kind of starting to uh, towards the end of January. I mean, people can't put their life plans on hold forever. But those two pauses really gave consumers the confidence to jump back in the market, and they did so in a really big way. Was the level of that interest from prospective home buyers a surprise? Were we expecting that many people to say, all right, let's, let's do this? Uh, not really, because as I mentioned, you know, life happens. And anytime interest rates go up, it gives people, you know, well, you'll see a, a flurry of activity while people still have a rate hold on the previous rate, but it, it, it gives consumers often pause and they'll, they'll take a wait and see approach. But, you know, for example, if you're going to have a, if you're expecting a child or you get divorced, you can only hang on to your current living situation for so long. And, you know, pent up demand was created through, through the, the, the pause and, yeah, wasn't that surprising to see everybody return? It's clear that Canadians still hold a special value when it comes to home ownership, especially as they've seen prices kind of escalate over the last number of years. That that dream of owning a home, for some, is not going to be a reality given their current economic state. But for many Canadians, this is still the big dream. Yeah, absolutely. We, we seem to have this insatiable appetite to own real estate in Canada. I mean, you've got just shy of 70% of Canadians that currently own a home and, you know, about the same rate of people aspire to do so in the next five years. You've also got a lot of people that are looking at real estate as an investment vehicle. And that has rang true for the last several decades. And, you know, we've got a significant housing shortage in, in Canada 
you know, CMHC last June said that we needed to build 3.5 million homes uh, over the next 10 years. Housing starts have actually fallen by 10% since they made that report. So we're going to face significant challenges and probably upward pressure on prices over the foreseeable future. Christopher Alexander is the president of Remax Canada and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're talking about Remax Canada's latest Move Up Market report. It finds that a lot of Canadians still want to get into the housing market. And we saw that with mortgage pre-approvals um, coming up to the latest interest rate hike as people were hearing you know, the Bank of Canada is probably going to raise interest rates again. So a lot of people said, let me get pre-approved now at this lower rate. So once I do get in, in 90 or 120 days, I can capitalize on that rate. Given that, now that we do have a higher interest rate, thanks to the central bank, what's the impact? Well, it, it could, a lot of people are speculating this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back for a lot of homeowners. I think we really took the bulk of pricing depreciation in 2022 i mean well the numbers show it but we're going to need a substantial amount of inventory to be able to satisfy the current demand and then you would need an even greater amount of new listings to stimulate further price declines and for me it's really tough to see that materializing yes there's going to be people that put their homes up because they can't afford their payments anymore but there seems to be uh, still a substantial amount of demand to to swallow that up. Is there any expectation that that inventory, which is extremely tight right now, not only in Hamilton, but many other cities across the country, is there any sense that that's going to loosen up over the next number of months? Or is this just a reality that we're going to face for maybe the next few years? Well, I certainly hope so, Rick, because, you know, competition came back in such a big way as soon as bank of canada said we're not raising rates uh on this cycle there was multiple offers on majority of listings or more than 50 percent of listings especially in the hamilton burlington area we're getting multiple offers and that typically pushes prices up and i hope that we get a bit more balance but as i mentioned housing starts have fallen our population is now over 40 million and we don't have a plan to house a majority of the the new Canadians coming in and that that that's another factor that's going to contribute to the competitive landscape of the real estate market for the foreseeable future. You are absolutely right, Mr. Alexander. Thank you as always for your time this morning. Thanks for having me, Rick. Great talking to you. Christopher Alexander is the president of Remax Canada. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. How much junk do you have? And what are you throwing away when you do decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to get rid of this. Well, yesterday I went on a ride along with Manny Ribello from Just Junk and got to see firsthand how they do what they do. We're here on site with Just Junk, and uh, you guys are a popular option for a lot of people who have moved into new homes, they want to declutter, or people selling their homes, they also want to declutter, get rid of some stuff as well, or people that just want to get rid of their junk. I'm sure you've seen and done it all in terms of hauling junk out of people's homes. Um, Just talk about how busy you guys are. 
Yeah, we've definitely have seen it all, uh, Rick. Uh, the good and the bad, I would say. <laughs> and as far as the, you know what we what we do, there's so many services people don't know. We actually demolish and uh, take down sheds as well. We remove hot tubs from people's homes. Uh, we cut them up into pieces, get them out of there. And uh, yeah, we're just you know generally on a, on a, any given day, we got between five or to 10 homes or businesses to go to, a combination of both. And it really depends on the scope of the job. So obviously if the job is a three hour job, then maybe that day we'll have five jobs, but they'll be a lot longer. And then other days we'll have smaller jobs. We might have up to 10 jobs or so. One of the unique things of Just Junk is that it doesn't just go to junk. You guys recycle a lot of this stuff. Absolutely. So we try to do our part. We try to keep things out of the landfill as much as possible. Uh, sometimes the, the customer will tell us ahead of time they want certain items donated, which we'll gladly do. And then there's other times where, as we're putting it in a truck, we can see that there's something that's it needs to be segregated and it'll be recycled. So the metal gets recycled. Um, uh, you know, if we get a lot of cardboard, we'll recycle that. So we do our part, uh, you know, to keep it out of the landfills. Mm-hmm. Talk about some of the unique items you have found over the years. What what comes to mind? Oh, it's a it's a family station, so I can't really say, divulge all of it. But <laughs> I can tell you that uh, oh, you, you, what I what I always uh, never cease to amaze me. You know, the old uh, somebody's garbage, somebody else's treasure. You'll you'll see that uh, you'll you'll find things that like I find like a lot of Eaton's bags really? and and you know things covered up in Eaton bags. So you could kind of tell they people haven't. They probably just stored it away many moons ago when Eaton's was still around, and they just never went back to that area. Crawl spaces are always funny. You'll find like a, a lot of. Well, I think the uniqueness is that you know, uh, and also there's a lot of uh, things that you kind of look back and you see an old picture of somebody from years ago. Do you think there was a there was a time and a moment where that item was very important to that person? So there's a lot of nostalgia too, as it as it goes along. Obviously, the rate we work at, we got to wait pretty quick rates so we can't really sit down and kind of look at all this stuff but as we're putting it in the truck and that yeah i would say more is just uh the uniqueness of a lot of the things as more more so than maybe weird stuff because i would consider what is weird to one person might be you know uh perfectly great and refined to another right what what is the most common things people throw out yeah the most common things we'll get a lot of we'll get a lot of couches we'll get a lot of uh mattresses uh, items generally items uh, that can be found in the garage we'll do a lot of that so those are generally the probably the top three has there ever been a time where you're hauling something out and it's that person's junk and you might think well oh, this is pretty cool like why are they throwing this away oh yeah there's been times where like you know there was uh the most recent one i could think of there was a uh, a 75, 75th anniversary die cast car collection from Canadian Tire. Oh, wow. And he just said, you know, throw it away. So we, we generally, we take it back. And again, we, we deal with, uh, so we work with Habitat for Humanity. They come into our warehouses. We have two bays. They come in there once a month. They look at everything and they take away what we can. So, you know, and, uh, and again, we hope that they can take most of it away because at that point, it's not going to the landfills, yeah. right? Has there ever been a time where, and I know you have, you know, integrity and standards and you got to follow the rules, but has there ever been a time where you're looking at an item thinking, wow, I'd love to have this? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we have a pretty good boss that way where, you know, we'll look at something and we'll on it, always uh, run up by him first. Uh, there's two brothers that own a company uh, and we just run up by them and kind of say, hey, you know what, if there's no, if there's nobody, again, if it's going to go to a landfill right. and, you know, like a... Uh, there's a set of, like, we'll also get, like, once in a while, we'll get a set of old golf clubs, right? Okay. But, like, 
um, myself personally, I don't play golf, but let's say my son plays golf and you know what, he doesn't really want to be, but he's just kind of recreational, doesn't want to be paying uh, whatever they cost these days. Mm-hmm. He just wants to set just to get going. That's perfect. And you know what? It's seen out of the landfill, right? Yeah, and that's that's the, the genesis of it is trying to, I know you're accepting junk, but you're trying to prevent a lot of junk from going in the landfill. Sure, sure. Yeah, abso- absolutely. It's a Canadian, and the other thing is Canadian-owned company, so we're very proud of that. We started up in uh, 2003 locally in St. Catharines. It's, you know, it's now, it's big now, St. Catharines. It's in Toronto. It's all over. It's all over. Our particular, um, where, we, where I work out of, we cover Hamilton, Brantford, uh, uh, we cover uh, Oakville, Burlington, and we go as far as Mississauga to the borderline of Toronto. So it's a pretty big area, probably the biggest area out of, out of all the franchises. So uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it's always cool that it's a Canadian company, right? So uh, they'll, they'll hear the commercials with the 1-800-GOT-JUNK, the worldwide one, and uh, nothing against them. I'm sure they're a great bunch of guys and they do a lot of great work, of course. So they'll want us, uh, the funny part is always want us to do that little thing, that one thing that they do, you know? <laughs> They'll, they'll do a little thing there and get yeah, it away. Yeah. We say, well, thank you very much. We're honored. But that's actually the other guys. So, yeah. What's the best part of this job? Oh, just meeting, uh, man, just meeting, just meeting people, interacting with people. It's something I was in the uh, corporate world for many, many decades, and I own businesses in that. And I kind of just wanted to get away from the mental straight of it. So it's physical. It's it, So the physical part is great because you stay out of the gym. It's mm-hmm. a lot more fun in the gym. Uh, I recommend it for anybody who just wants to be that they enjoy the great outdoors because we do do work that's outdoor based as well. We did a lot of gardening work this time of year as well. Yeah. Um, and just removing brush and all that. And just like I'm a dog person, so every like one in three homes is a dog yeah, around. We just saw one. See, yeah, we just saw one. So we get to, you know, pet the dog and, and be with the dog for a little bit. So there's a lot of, uh, you just meet, meet some great people, right? At the end of the day, I think it's just that look on their face when they you know it's gone mm-hmm. and that space is realized again that space their home or that stinky load of garbage whatever is no longer there and it's gone and you just and it's one of those things we recommend because at the end of the day i mean in the world we live in today time is so precious more than ever and if you you know it's a couple hundred dollars here or there and we're very competitive a couple hundred dollars there here or there and it's you know a health thing where you're going to exert yourself or whatever yeah, I guess do it. We're professionals. We come in. We the twists and turns that are needed. That sometimes you know, we go back to the old uh, friends episode with the pivot, <laughs> pivot. Yeah, that sometimes people just won't know. You know, the turns and things are, sure. or how are we gonna get this couch out? But we always manage. Worst case scenario, we'll cut it in half. But generally, nine times out of ten, we'll be able to get it out of the home. Well, I encourage any of our listeners who have junk to call Just Junk or go to JustJunk.com, and Manny could be in your home sometime soon. Appreciate the time. Anytime, and thank you. Thank you to Manny Rebello and the folks at Just Junk for inviting me to come out and see uh, how they do what they do. It's kind of cool. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're asking you about the Commonwealth Games because Australia has abruptly pulled out as hosts of the 2026 event, saying the cost is just too much. $7 billion is what they're saying it would have cost them to host in a few years' time. We already know that Hamilton has said, nah, we're not going to host this thing. Is it time to mothball the Commonwealth Games? That's what we are asking you on Twitter, at AM900CHML. An overwhelming 84% of you right now is saying, yeah, it's time to let it go. Let's ask our next guest. He is a senior economics lecturer uh, from Concordia University. Moshe Lander is his name, good friend of the show, and joins us once again on GMH. Moshe, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning. Inflation seems to have killed any chance of uh, at least Australia hosting this event. Even so, you know, this came as a big surprise to the Commonwealth Games Federation. What do you make of this uh, about face from Australia? Yeah, I mean, they're pulling out three years before the games are supposed to happen. So these games are usually awarded seven years before they take place. So it took four years for them to realize, oops, um, it's really difficult at this point to find somebody who can take over the games and have all of the logistics in place. They're probably going to go back to a previous host and just say, whatever you can do is better than nothing at this point. This has happened before, although maybe not as close to actual event time. Um, um, South Africa pulled out in, uh, I, I can't remember the year, but Birmingham, England uh, hosted the event in 2022. So this isn't precedent setting. It has happened before. What are the chances that another city within the Commonwealth says, all right, yeah, we'll do it? Well, again, if it's a previous host where the infrastructure's in place and if the Commonwealth Games Committee is willing to be a little flexible as to what exactly they're going to get at this point, um, you know, it's possible somebody could jump in. The logistics are still difficult, right? It's not just a matter of having the facilities in place, but it's being able to accommodate all of the athletes coming from all around the world. And it's also all of the journalists that have to go and cover the games where they were maybe looking at an Australian getaway. Now they might be heading somewhere else. And so it's it's early enough, of course, that you can change your flight information. Uh, but all of the stories that you start putting in place years in advance and prep for these games uh, now have to be shelved and you have to kind of reset everything. Uh, it's it's a bit of a challenge for sure, but it could be done. We got a text earlier this morning from CHML listener Tom, who says, yeah, it is time to mothball the Commonwealth Games, saying that the money could be put to housing. Given where we are with the economy, with housing and everything else that is going on, is the Commonwealth Games in danger of dying on the vine, so to speak? Danger of dying, yes. Uh, you, you said your poll question is, should it be uh, put to rest? And yeah, it really should. Uh, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up one further on your poll there. I'm going to say the Olympics should go out the door with it. Um, those things are becoming unaffordable too. And it, it's only a matter of time before we hear uh, one of those hosts say, yeah, thanks, but we're out too. Well, and and it comes down to the, you know, the world's attention. Does it justify the cost? And, you know, are the dollars that the host city is pulling in justifying the cost? Because if Australia is spending $7 billion to host the Commonwealth Games, I can't imagine what Paris is going to spend hosting the Olympics next year. And that's exactly it. It's, you know, as as the public becomes a little more... Um, careful about what their governments are putting their tax dollars toward uh you know they're they're starting to turn against these lavish projects and so you know here in canada calgary montreal vancouver have all hosted olympic games uh none of them have uh, a net positive uh at least from a financial standpoint for for hosting it they have some infrastructure uh i'm out in calgary right now in fact and you know part of the discussion is should the ski jump bobsleigh run the uh speed skating track just be you know let go uh, i mean it's it's 35 years past its prime and it's really unusable now uh for world class events because there's more modern facilities that are put in place so it's either now you have to continue to spend to maintain those legacy venues uh, or they go the way that 
we saw with Brazil hosting the games where, you know, you just have weeds and grass growing through them uh, once they're out of use. Uh, when taxpayers realize that all of that's being funded by their money, mm-hmm. yeah, there's lots of other things you could do for road schools, uh, infrastructure projects, bridge maintenance, um, social issues, drug problems. There's all kinds of ways you could use that money better. Last one for you. 2026 is a special year for this country when the World Cup comes to our nation. The Women's World Cup kicks off tomorrow in Australia and New Zealand. Are World Cup events on another level when it comes to hosting these massive global sporting events? Not really. Uh, if you take a look at the recent men's hosts, it's not exactly a litany of, uh, you know, democratic countries where taxpayers get a say of how their money's going to be used, right? And so part of that is indicative that in the bidding process, these countries are just saying thanks, but no thanks. The Women's World Cup hasn't quite reached that level of expense, uh, although it's getting there. And so even with the the Women's uh, World Cup about to kick off, notice that it's split between two countries. The idea of one country hosting the event is starting to become a little bit antiquated because of all the cost involved. And so uh, the, the way forward is probably going to be that if these sorts of games and, and events are going to continue, it's going to be with uh, split hosts, split countries, and hoping to split the costs Uh, to at least try and cover the minimal benefits that occur. That'll be the case for the Men's World Cup in 2026 as well, as Canada, the U.S., and Mexico splitting uh, the responsibility and the cost as well. Moshe, thanks for waking up with us this morning, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Take care. Moshe Lander is a senior economics lecturer at Concordia University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Two friendships in the workplace. I told you, Jake, we're not that kind of friends. Not what kind of friends? Friend friends. You and I are work friends. Now, if you will excuse me, I'm going to the doctor's office. Should you be friends with your coworkers? Well, it is a conversation that our next guest is having with all of you online at theconversation.com. His name is Stephen Friedman. He's an adjunct professor of organizational studies at the Scullick School of Business at York University and joins us now. Stephen, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. This is really a fascinating topic because I think everyone can relate. And depending on how friendly or unfriendly you are with coworkers, it can really have a positive or negative impact on you at work. Absolutely. You know, um, I think this is something we've sort of known for quite some time. Um, I look at it like who wants to spend all day at work in an unfriendly environment? So clearly to me, it would make a difference in terms of how well you perform, uh, because that has a big impact on uh, on a big connection to how you feel at work, right? Do do you find that some workers don't want to make friends at work? They they just want to treat everyone kind of neutral so they can either get the job done that they got to do or not get involved in the workplace drama or gossip or whatever the case is. Yes, absolutely. Like any facet of life, though, the some of that drama, et cetera, is part of what gives us uh, excitement for, you know, to give us some joy in our days mm-hmm. and to make the days feel less like we're just killing the time and punching a clock, you know? So, I mean, yes, we can get more sort of vanilla, neutral interaction by staying clear of everything. But if we applied that to every facet of life, what would we be doing? We'd be just sort of sitting in a closet, looking at a wall, playing it safe, <laughs> not enjoying our the passage of time, right, Rick? Yeah. In saying that, are there workplace relationships that are beneficial or win-win situation for both the employer and the employees involved? Absolutely. I think all of them are. If you 
if you are able to get along with people, we end up spending a lot less time on problems. Uh, all the things that are important at work become easier. Uh, collaborating with each other, uh, apologies, forgiveness, dealing with making mistakes, learning new things without embarrassment, getting and receiving feedback. All these things become less of a threat to an individual uh, when we have some warm relations between them. You've also gotten you've gotten really deep on this topic in terms of four friendship categories at work. What are we looking yeah. at? Uh, well, you know what? Um, I, I used to get asked about this all the time because obviously, you know, we gen we tend to sort of vacillate between, okay, so I need to be best friends with people at work. Can't I just not talk to them? And so I and a, bun a bunch of other experts think to myself, there's got to be something in between, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got the sort of best friend, the sort of work spouse. You may have heard of that before. Maybe you have one, Rick, that you're really tight with and you talk to outside of work. But then we've got the person we don't talk to at all or we really don't even care for. So we've got the workplace best friend. This next down, we've got the workplace. I call them a close friendly. So they're a little bit not quite as close as a best friend, but still really tight. Um, they would uh, they remain good friends. If you left work, you would probably want to, you know, if you left your workplace, you'd probably want to stay in touch with them, etc. And then we have the workplace friendly. The workplace friendly is, you know, there's still some disclosure to each other. People are sharing stuff together with each other. But it's not necessarily a person that you would keep in touch with if you left the workplace. Mm. This is the kind of person you'd grab lunch or a coffee with and you'd still do some, you know, complaining about the, the person in accounting or uh, talking about your kid's birthday party. And that's probably the best one because it's the one that has sort of the least amount of risk, the least amount of what I call spillover. Like if you get in a big fight or you get in an argument, which friends do, uh, it's less likely to spill over in a negative way into the workplace. And then we have the sort of acquaintance, the person if like, <laughs> if you bump into them uh, at the airport on your way to, you know, uh, to a holiday in, in the Caribbean, you might say, oh, small world. Hello. How's it going? But and a hello in the elevator, just really what I would call transactional. Great. So those are the sort of the four levels. Yeah. Great insight into uh, friendships in the workplace. We'll have it. I have to leave it there as we're out of time. But appreciate your time this morning, Stephen. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it. Enjoy. You too. Should you be friends with coworkers? The answer, according to Stephen Friedman from York University, absolutely yes. There are certain levels, and I'm sure you have a bunch of those in each and every category. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.